We began uh, discussing a little bit of this, just mentioned it last week. We're going to get into it a little bit more this morning. It's called the, you know, there's a guy named Al Gore about 20 years ago. He wrote a book called An Inconvenient Truth. And he was talking about global warming and everything. And it took the world by storm and people bought it hook, line and sinker. But there's another inconvenient truth. It's the one that's a really inconvenient truth. And that's about the wrath of God. It's the truth that people don't want to hear about. So guess what? You're hearing about it tonight to, to this morning. So look in verse 1, Romans chapter 1. We're studying through Romans, which is the greatest book in the New Testament. Uh, there is so much in Romans. We'll, I, I, I know we're not going to finish it in one year. It's going to take 10 years if we went at this pace. But there is so much here I think you will enjoy and appreciate as we go through. Paul here is going to mention some very positive, encouraging truths. Look in verse 1. He says this. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto, circle these words, the gospel of God. We've learned that the gospel means the good news of God. It's very positive. We're talking about something that's good news to hear. All week long you hear about bad news, about economies, about big tech laying off another 10,000 jobs, and on and on you hear bad news. It's nice to come to church and hear some good news, amen? Look down at verse 7. To all that be in Rome, Paul writes, beloved of God, I like that, called to be saints, grace, circle that word, what a good word, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith, not your works. I mean, anybody wants to judge me by what I do, you'll find flaws. But it's nice when Paul says, you know, I hear about your faith, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Here's another powerful truth. For it is the power of God. Another one, unto salvation to everyone that, oh, believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Gospel, grace, peace, faith, power of God, belief, righteousness. These are all positive, real, and true truths. But there's another truth. There's another side to things. It's a very inconvenient truth. And that is the wrath of God. Look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now the truth is, uh, people have been taught all their lives that God is a good God. And he is. And that God loves people, and he does. But they've never been taught that God is righteous, and that he's holy, and that he's the ultimate judge of this earth. And the inconvenient truth is we're going to have to face him one day, and no one's ready. You see, there's a day coming, not when the temperature of the world is going to get too hot for us to live in. Forget global warming. There's a day coming, not when the world will become so overcrowded. I remember listening in the 1970s, they said, oh, the world is going to be overpopulated. There's a guy named Ted Turner who owned uh, uh, television broadcasting. He owned T CNN a long time ago. And he said this. He said they, they got this World Economic Forum going on. You watch what they say at that thing. They're predicting stuff 20 years down in the future. 
But Ted Turner said this, it'd be really nice if the world could return to about 700 million people. Now, how would you do that? <laughs> you have to get rid of some people. But that's how arrogant these people are. Our problem is not overcrowding. The worry is not that there's a day coming where AI, ro uh, uh, artificial intelligent robots, are going to take over the world, as terrifying as that may be, all right? But go to chapter 2. You're in Romans chapter 1. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 16. There is a day coming when, where God will judge the secrets of men. Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. Paul says this, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Believe me, there are some unimaginable secrets that you don't want anybody to know. Where you've been, what you've done, where you've, what you've bought, there are, un not just you, I mean, in this world, to find out what goes on in, 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 in back rooms and in schools and in homes, the, the secrets of men are going to be brought out and going to be judged. And that ought to terrify us. John chapter 3. Hold your place here in Romans. Go back to the left. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we know verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sounds so good, so positive. But whosoever believeth in him should not. There's a negative. But of everlasting life, back to the positive. But look down in chapter 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the son, what do you have? You have everlasting life. But it goes on, and he that believeth not. Say, what do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. He that believeth not, if you refuse to make that step of faith and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will follow him, I trust him. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's in the same chapter as John 3.16 is in. It's a very inconvenient truth. Let's start with uh, the wrath of God being revealed back there in verse 18. Back there in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. It says right there, the wrath of God is revealed. It's not secret. I'm not sitting here talking about something's going to happen, you know, that nobody knows about, and it's just been revealed to me. I had a voice speak to me. No, no, no. It's revealed. And by the way, when it says the wrath of God, we're talking about God getting angry. God getting upset. God being full of wrath. Now, it was true with my dad. When I was growing up, now I, I'm sorry that some of you had dads that went too far and abused and, and uh, mothers who were constantly angry and maybe they were abusive. I understand all that, but my dad wasn't like that. But so, because some of us had dads who were very reserved and they were patient with us. But when we crossed a serious line, they got angry. And when they got angry, you stood straight up and you knew it's over. <laughs> And they were right. I think one of my failings growing up was I didn't get caught more. Amen. It's a serious when God gets angry. Now, hold your place here in Romans. Go back to Psalm 103. Middle of your Bible, Psalm 103. I got to say this, because people get the idea God is only angry. And that's not true. Psalm 103, God is slow to get angry. The only reason why you're still breathing today when you should be dead and in hell is because God is slow 
at showing his wrath. Psalm 103 and verse 8. Psalm 103, one of the best psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalm 103 verse 8 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He delays to punish us. Thank God. You know, sometimes we get the idea, we get this image of a God who just hovers over us, and every time we, we look wrong, he goes, pow! And every time we say something wrong, pow! You know, you wouldn't survive 30 seconds. No, he doesn't do that. It's your guilt catching you like that. That's all that is. He delays. He's very uh, patient. Go back to Romans. We're going back and forth, I know. We got a good study this morning. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 now. Just know this, God's patience is not permission. Just because he hadn't killed you yet doesn't mean he doesn't mind you doing it. I had somebody tell me several years ago, he's been smoking for 40 years. <laughs> and, he's going, and I told him, I says, you're a Christian now, put him down. He says, hadn't killed me yet. God hadn't tried to stop me yet. You know, when God makes me stop, I went, what? Just because God is patient with you doesn't mean God's giving you permission. Look at uh, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. There's a question. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering? What great words those are. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to a change of life, to a change of mind, to a, to a, a whole different way of living. He says, he's trying to lead you to repentance. What do we do? Verse 5, but after thy hardness and impenitent, unrepentant heart, what are you treasuring up? What are you piling up? You treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. That's pretty serious. Judgment is going to happen. And it's happened throughout all history, like I'm going to say in just a few minutes. But I want to say this. The wrath of God is an inconvenient truth that most people don't want to hear about. But believing this generation needs to hear about it. If I could get, a, if I could get an audience in the, um, uh, uh, the meeting hall or the, whatever, the gymnasium or whatever, over Colossa Column or BCS or somewhere, and if I had a chance to speak to a thousand kids, believe me, they need to hear about the wrath of God as much as they need to hear about the love of God. Because the love of God has no value unless you realize how much trouble you're in with God. This generation needs to hear it because they've been told that God is dead. They've been told that death is the end of life. Um, I'll say this, Georgina got to speak to somebody last night who believed that death was the end of their life. And she said, it's not the end. And if you're not saved, this, this, is, this is some time where you will regret for all eternity you didn't get saved. And he got saved. Because he was ready to die, wasn't he? But he had no idea what was on the other side of that door. Death is not the end of a person's life. Hell is still real and eternal and terrifying. Let me read for you Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon says, after a whole book of depressing Conclusions, he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. And every secret thing, whether it be good 
or whether it be evil. You better fear God. Don't you worry about what your friends think. I remember, remember um, uh, the night that I got saved, one of the, one of the girls, uh, she was, uh, everybody thought she was a Christian, but she, she just was living a lie. Uh, on the weekends, she snuck out of house and everything. She wasn't really a Christian. And she got up and gave testimony the night she got saved after not, the night that I had been, in, been told that I need to get saved from the pulpit. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. And I'm sitting there fighting. And she said, you know why I got saved tonight? And why I never have been saved all these years? She said, because I was afraid of what my friends would think. And she said, pastor said something and it woke me up. She said, why would you go to hell for anybody? And that's how she then came forward, talked to the pastor, got dealt with by somebody, got saved, given that testimony. I'm still stubborn and I'm going, oh, she got saved and she wasn't afraid of anybody. And I still was. Wasn't that stupid? That was the night after the pastor all finished everything. I says, I got to get saved. And Bob's your uncle. Okay. But nobody wants to hear that truth. Uh, but every generation has already said needs to hear it in this generation most of all. It is described. Say, what is the wrath of God? Well, the Bible leaves nothing to the imagination, does it? Take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 19. We'll come back to Romans in a moment here, but Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. A lot of people ask me, Pastor, would you teach on Revelation? Would you, oh, it'd be great to preach on. And I say to most people, you couldn't handle it. It's not that it's so complex. It is more real than anything you've ever watched on television. It'll terrify you. Look at Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And the only person who qualifies for that is Jesus. And in righteousness, he's a judge and make war. Heaven opens up and into this universe comes somebody on a horse and he's coming to make war. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire. His head were as many, uh, he, uh, on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed in a vesture, a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, a sharp sword that with it he should smite, cut down the nations, and that he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth out, watch this, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 6 now. Back a few chapters, Revelation chapter 6. Look at the reaction of people at his coming and at the judgments that are coming. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. And behold, when I had opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs in a storm. When she is shaken of a mighty wind and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and every island was moved out of their places. Ireland is changing latitude. Verse 15, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man 
hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? No wonder John the Baptist stood there on the uh, Jordan River and he cried out to people passing by, flee, flee from the wrath to come because it's coming. It's coming. Now the truth is God has showed us his wrath. That stuff's future. God's already poured out his wrath before. In the past, the most definite one was the flood. How do you explain clamshells, closed clamshells, buried instantly on the top of Mount Everest? What are, what are ocean-dwelling clamshells up on the top of Mount Everest if there wasn't a cataclysm that shifted that mountain up? <laughs> Let's pray, man. <laughs> Uh, everywhere is the evidence for a cataclysmic flood. How many remember a place called Sodom? Nobody, nobody wants to talk about that, but that is God's wrath on a lifestyle that he said was wrong. That's the wrath of God, and they don't exist anymore. That place is nothing but salt pits now. You ever hear of the ten plagues of Egypt? I mean, the flies, the frogs, the locusts, the murrain, which is a disease on the cattle, um, the fire and hail falling down, burning up everything. That's showing what God is capable of, of when he makes judgment. How about the cross? You see, I learned about the flood, didn't believe it. I learned about Sodom, I didn't believe it. I heard about the ten plagues and he didn't believe it. But when somebody told me that God, took the, God poured out his wrath on his son instead of on me, I stood up and I said, that got my attention. That's the wrath of God on sin that should have been poured out on me. Amen? That's the wrath of God. You, wonder, you ever wonder why God turned the light off for three hours when Jesus was on the cross? Jesus didn't make a sound. He didn't scream, cry out. You know what he was doing? He was bearing the punishment for our sin. Didn't need to go to hell and bear it. He bore it on the cross and he was able at the end of that thing, you know what he cries out? It is finished. All of the payment was made on that cross. That's the wrath of God that should be on us. Huh. Then you go into the New Testament, you find Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead. That's God's judgment because they were living a life of, of deception. They were trying to lie their way through Christianity and God said, let me teach you guys a lesson. It doesn't happen all the time, but both of them drop dead. That's the wrath of God. You say, oh, that's an Old Testament. No, it's a Bible thing. Now, why is God angry? Go back to Revelation, uh, Romans. I know it got real quiet in here. Nobody's enjoying church today. <laughs> but how do you joke about this kind of stuff? Romans chapter 1. Why is God angry? And verse 18 tells you right there. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven because he's against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God is furious at something called sin in us. He's, he, uh, God gets angry when we break his laws, okay? You come into my house and you start breaking things, I'm going to get upset, amen? 
You come into this world, you're a little baby and you grow up. Okay, so you're three weeks old, three months old, three years old, you knock over things. You're 30 years old and you're still knocking over things in people's homes. You'll make people mad, amen? And when you start knocking over uh, the things of this world and start hurting other people and start uh, uh, violating God's rules, it makes God's ups God upset. God is, is angry that we love our sin. You know, men love darkness, don't they? Men love pornography. Men love drunkenness. Men love stealing. There's a buzz that comes where you can actually pull off a heist. You can pull off a steal. Men love laziness. God gets upset they know that we don't care about breaking laws. I mean, here's a guy. He's standing before a judge. He's caught for the 15th time joyriding. So he steals a car, runs it through, smashing alongside 15 different cars, runs over two different people, and he stands in front of the judge, and he goes, I don't care. That'd make anybody upset, amen? And that's how God looks at us. He says, don't you care that you do wrong? Don't you have any conscience? God is upset because of sin in us. He's upset because it runs our lives instead of righteousness. Let me say this. God made you and designed you for better things than venereal disease. God designed you to live without emphysema. Emphysema is not inherited. Emphysema is something you do to yourself. God didn't design you to be on a oxygen, in an oxygen tent for the last five years of your life. He didn't design you to have kidney failure because you drank since you were 14. Didn't design you to live with stomach ulcers and wasted lives. He's angry that we have allowed sin to run our life instead of righteousness. You know, all those people up in Donegal and a couple of other counties up there near Mayo and stuff like that, they found out that Micah was put into their concrete and made their walls crumble and their foundation crumble, all that stuff. You know, people are furious, and rightly so. Somebody shortchanged them. Somebody, somebody took advantage of them charged them so much and then walked away and won't come, around, come back and make the thing right. They're furious that somebody made a lie. Every parent understands God's feeling of wrath when they think of someone attempting to molest their children. No mom, no, no mom finding some guy trying to take, his, take her daughter, take her son, get into a car. No mom's going to go knocking on the window. Uh, can I have your attention for a moment? I really don't think you should do this. That mom is going to kill somebody, amen? See, we forget that God has righteous anger. And when he's angry, we better own up to it and face up to it because we get angry too at injustices. If your son or your daughter's life was being run by a gang member or by a pimp, wouldn't, it, wouldn't that infuriate you? Folks, let me tell you, sin is running this world. Sin is the language. We were talking about it last night or yesterday morning. You, you, nobody's talking clean. I can't go to a shop and stand there in line without hearing two people cross between me and the F word is every third word. When was the last time you watched a clean movie? So God, God is upset. Thankfully, he's patient, but he's upset. And one of these days, he has to judge sin. God would not be a good God if he wasn't a holy God. 
God's not like our modern politicians and our modern judges that protect their friends and only go after the people they don't like. God is holy, pure, right, and good, and we humans are not. No wonder he's upset. Now somebody said, well, what's wrong with us? Well, you need a Bible to tell you because we are blind to what we're really like. You ever tried to talk in marriage counseling between two people? And they each see each other. They can't see themselves as wrong. Amen. And the Bible's the only thing that'll show you where you're wrong. Because we're a mess inside. The Bible, the, the theological term is we're depraved. We're ruined. So look there in verse 19. Go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. He says this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Wait a minute. So people already know about God. Come on, people already know about God. Everybody knows about God. We're not ignorant that God exists. Look in verse um, 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world, just by looking at creation, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, the world, anybody in the world, I don't care where, what island they live on, they are without excuse. No one's ignorant that God exists. We all know about God. Uh, he's revealed himself to every person. Just by looking at creation, all you have to do is look around and you find something called, uh, where's my, oh, okay. They find DNA. One of the greatest scientific discoveries back in 1956 was an accident. They're trying to figure out what makes a cell live. And so they, they use all kinds of microscopes trying to find out what this thing is called a gene, chromosome. And, and in an accident, they saw a reflection on the wall through a couple of different magnifying glasses and prisms and things like this, and they saw this helix. And they discovered a design. They had no idea how this thing worked. And from that day forward, it has been miraculous trying to understand how life works. I mean, how do you just deny there's a God? Atoms, atoms are, I love I love physics, I love astronomy, and I love studying things. Atoms are absolutely breathtaking to try to understand because they should not exist. The protons and the, the neutrons in the center of that uh, uh, atom should just fly apart, but they don't because of something that Einstein called the strong force. He said, you know what, this is what he said in 1905. He said, you know what, if we could ever split that nucleus, we might have an explosion. Yeah, it's called the atomic bomb. Did, when you start looking at this universe, you start looking at creation, you find design. You find things that aren't accidentally thrown together, like my meals. <laughs> I mean, when I make something, I mean, it's an accident, okay? You may follow a recipe. I don't know what a recipe is, whatever. When God made this universe, he made things that worked. I mean, just look at that planet. That planet should not exist. They say there's 10 sextillion uh, stars in the universe. That's 10 with 18 or 21 zeros after the end of that thing. We're the only one that has life on it. We shouldn't exist. Doesn't that tell you something? I remember watching Carl Pagan. I'm sorry, Carl Sagan. I used to worship him. I, used to, I have every one of his books and I'd listen to him. He says, there are billions and billions and billions of worlds occupied living out there. And as he, as he talked about all this thing, I just believed him. You know what? They never found one. 
They never, they keep listening. They have this thing called search for extraterrestrial intelligence. That's an interesting word because they can't find any here. But they've been listening, trying to find somebody to talk to them. <laughs> and they're not up there. We shouldn't be here. All the laws that, that make for life shouldn't allow us to be alive. This, this, this universe that we live in is so massive that it requires a creator. You can't go from a dot to everything. That takes great faith. You want know the faith I choose? That it took nothing to make everything. I choose not a dot, I choose a God. I mean, it's just, only an Egypt would say, uh, I don't believe in God, but I believe in a dot. <laughs> anyway, if I came along and I found this sitting on the side of a beach and I went, oh, look what an accident produced. <laughs> These things must have just crawled out of the ocean. No, any normal human being would look at it and go, I wonder who made those things. I wonder who designed them. I wonder who left them here. When I look at a life, I look at what did God make? When I look at this universe, when I look at things, creation. Listen, if somebody says, I don't believe in God, they're willfully rejecting revelation. They refuse. It keeps going on. Uh, verse, um, uh, verse 20 for the... Uh, I want to get my point here. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. One of the things I want to say about knowing God is you know him in your own heart. Everybody has a conscience. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to go to church for you to know what's wrong. Try and take a toy truck from a three-year-old. They know instinctively it's wrong to steal, amen? It's written in their heart. We have an instinct that God wired into us. But when we refuse to glorify him as God, when we replace God, we say, I'm not, I'm not going to give you the honor you deserve. That hurts. I mean, when, 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 when we're so disrespectful, I, I, I know exactly why people are disrespectful to one another. You know why? Because we're disrespectful towards God. We don't honor him like he deserves. And that hurts him. And there, it, it, it goes on and it says, people are not thankful. Did you see that in verse 21? When they, know, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and neither were thankful. I could preach all day on this. The one foundational sin that has ruined this generation and every generation before us is the sin of ungratefulness. I have found that people generally are not thankful for what they have. They're not thankful for what other people do for them. They can't say thank you. Do you know you have to be taught to be thankful. Evidently, parents have forgotten to teach their kids to be thankful because I don't find it. This is the sin that, that starts the domino effect of so many other sins. When somebody says, I don't need God, I don't need my parents, I don't need to be thankful for anything. Nothing's ever been perfect anyway, and I never get what I want. Really? That's the beginning of a life that will end miserably where does it begin unable to say to their parents who've done their best every one of us have flawed parents you remember your parents sometimes they, they went a little too far sometimes they they didn't do right sometimes they fought i don't care what you had if you have a bitterness towards your parents you have already started down the road to destruction where you're un un unable to just go thank you for my parents thank you they didn't abort me 
Thank you, they tried and failed. And when I become a parent, I hope I do better, but I hope I learn from them instead of hate them. Amen. Because every one of us who hate our parents, our kids are going to hate us more. It just flows that way. Unthankful. The arrogant pride of a person causes them to think they don't need to be thankful for their life. For every breath. If you could just get up every morning and force yourself to thank God for being alive. If you could thank God for your health, you won't complain about it when it's not there. You'll say, well, it was good while it was on. <laughs> People can't, you know, I'm watching Gleb grow seven feet tall, eight feet tall, you know. Be thankful for your height. Oh, I don't want to be so tall. It's embarrassing being so tall. No, God made you that way. Be thankful. Be thankful for your gender. You know why all these people are having trouble with their gender? They hate themselves. What about your eye color? I've met girls who hate their eye color. What? Hate their hair color, their parents, their siblings, their neighbors, their teachers. They can never be thankful for their clothes, their shoes, their home, their pastor. They can't be thankful. And they've bound themselves into a roller coaster ride that's going to end in destruction. And you'll never be able to. If you can't be thankful for just everything, it'll curse you so when you have a trouble, you can't be thankful for that trouble. Do you know a Christian can be thankful for trials? A Christian can be thankful for going to the hospital. A Christian can be thankful for having bad health, for having a bad day. Why? Because Jesus stays the same. Because he never left you. He stays with you. You know, when, when you refuse to thank God for everything, we open the door for the devil to take charge of our heart and bring unimaginable sins in. Take your Bible, turn to Ephesians. You're in Romans. Go to the right. Find Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 20. One of the, let's go back to verse 18. One of the ways that you get filled with the Holy Spirit and stay filled with the Holy Spirit is to put away the drink. Verse 18, it says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is always excess, but be filled with what? All right, here's a sign that you're trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, speaking to yourselves, to one another, using the Bible, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Not 96 FM, <clears throat> but singing songs, hymns, and songs that honor God. Verse 20, giving thanks. How often? Say it again. For how many things? Ouch. You ever think about how hard that is? Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sin to not be thankful. It is a sin to not say thank you. It's a sin. And that sin started mankind off on a time where we say, I don't need God. I don't need to be thankful. I, 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 I'm my own God. I'm my own man. I can live as I please. And whatever works out and doesn't work out, it's on me. You're a fool. If it's on you, we're going to watch how you'll spend eternity in hell. And you had the chance to be born again, have a better life. People change the glory of God back there in Romans chapter 1, verse 23. I'll come back to verse 22 in a second. People change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. I mean, why would you exchange 
the, 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 the invisible awesomeness of God. He has no image for a beetle, for a, um, a statue of a man. I'll talk about that in a second, but think about it. People change the glory of an incorporate God into images of man and of birds, verse 23, four-footed beasts and creeping things. You know, a man replacing his wife with someone else or someone else is pretty stupid, amen? And I would imagine she'd be pretty upset with him, amen? And when God is replaced, he gets upset. People change the image of God, the, the image less of God, I don't know if that's a proper word, but they change God into an image, into, an, into idols, and let their imagination take over. They worship people, people's bodies. Every Greek God has a perfect body. You ever notice that? Just like mine. I mean, they all patterned after somebody, so. I mean, they're worshiping a human body. They worship people's accomplishments. Oh, look at so-and-so. Look at how much money he has. Look at where he's gone. Look at what she's done with her life, so on and so forth. They worship people. Other people worship trees, <laughs> mountains. Some people worship the stars. Oh, the moon is in Virgo. And uh, so you need to stay home in February. They worship demons and aliens. The ancient Egyptians worship cats. Now that is the epitome of stupidity, all right? <laughs> you know, anyway, some people worship frogs. Ancient Egyptians used to worship frogs, serpents, and beetles. People in India worship cows and, and rats. Wow. You know, these people will, will end up calling themselves professors, doctors, TDs, and senators. But look at verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? All their education is vain, empty, worthless. You know, when you worship numbers instead of God, <laughs> and there are people who do that every week, that is their God. And I know this, this government takes advantage of people who are struggling to make ends meet with a hope that they're going to get 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, whatever, and all their troubles will be over. And every week they keep putting the money in there, and they never learn how to save. They never learn, and they take advantage of that, and they cause them to worship the numbers. And believe me, if they ever won, would they ever worship the numbers? One with six zeros. <laughs> Don't worship numbers. Worship God. Exodus chapter 20 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is earth beneath, that is under the earth, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. The Lord thy God is a jealous God. You worship me. I'm the only one, God says, I'm the only one that, that's right to worship because I'm right. You say, that's not fair. No, it's fair because you can't beat him. He's right. He's not an ogre. He's not a tyrant. He's right and he's patient. He's merciful. He's kind. He's everything that is right. So he's earned it. So verse 20, go to Romans, back there in Romans 1, jump down to verse 28, it says, when they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The first part being, they, they knew God. And I'm going to say this, everybody knows about God. You go to the farthest island off in the middle of the Atlantic or the Pacific or off of India, no, no civilized person's ever been there. And what are they doing? They're worshiping. 
every culture, every nation, every, every language, people group worships a God because it's in us. They know there's somebody out there, there's something out there. But that doesn't mean they're saved. That's why we take the gospel to them because it's not knowing God that makes you right with him, it's knowing his son. That's why missionaries go. Missionaries go to the furthest place and they find somebody who talks about God, worships God, sacrificing their kids to God. You tell them, let me tell you about Jesus. There's a God of this world that's taken over your religion, let me tell you, but you know there's a God. But what happens is people don't like to retain him in their knowledge. They go, he's not relevant. He, he's old-fashioned. He's, he's, he's not popular. And what happens is people change truth into lies. Back there in Romans, verse 25, 125, they change the truth of God into a lie. And they worship the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Think about it. People change the beautiful truth of one man married to one woman for life, and they change it into anything goes. I brought up the thing back there at the, at the referendum about same-sex marriage. I asked, I says, are you only stopping with one? You can have two, you, one, one decision. You can have two men claiming to be in love and getting married, two women. Why are you stopping with just one extra? Why are you stopping with two people? Are you going to allow three? and allow them to be married? You can allow four and allow them to be married? It doesn't end. God said it's one man, one woman for life. That's the beautiful thing. People change the truth that we're created, in, uh, created by God into the lie that we are accidents. My neighbor, when I was a kid, his parents would say, oh, hey, this kid is an accident. Why did we have this kid? That kid grew up here and his dad called him an accident all his life. You are not an accident. Neither was he. People change the truth that a man is supposed to be masculine and a woman is supposed to be feminine. They turn it into a lie that you can be anything you want. You can be a puppy dog or a cat or a lizard. People change the truth that God is a spirit into a lie that God is a thing that you can build and make with your own hands and fall down and worship him. They change the truth into a lie. That's why there's so many different... You say, why are there so many different religions? Because they don't like the truth. If I met someone who had, a, had crafted a beautiful watch, I mean handcrafted like these Rolex watches, and they're showing me this watch they just made, and they open it up and show me the intricacies, show me in a microscope how beautiful, and I look at that watch and I say, what a fantastic watch, and I ignore the man who created it. Wouldn't I be kind of stupid? Wouldn't I be a little imbalanced? The person who made the watch is better than the watch, amen? And the God who made this world is greater than the world. Now the results are this, and I've got to finish. Verse 21. And I'll come back on this next week because this is serious. There are serious and eternal consequences about our attitude towards God and this truth. I'm going to only show you the first two results Verse 21 and 22, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain, empty. We used to call them airheads in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What's the result of, of ignoring this inconvenient truth? Number one, God will make a fool of you. You see, a fool is someone who decides against the evidence and says, oh, I don't care. I don't believe there's a God. 
Psalm 14 says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. You have, to be a, you have to be a fool to deny evidence. And if you want to be a fool, go right ahead. But God will make a fool out of you. You'll start believing that we all crawled out of a pool of goo about 3.2 billion years ago. If you don't want to believe in a creator, you don't want to believe in God, you believe life is an accident and human life is worthless. You'll give women the right to destroy unborn life. I always wondered, if a woman has the right to take away that life, how come the husband doesn't have that right? How come he can't reach in there and just take that life? See, it's, it's the woman's body. No, it's another body in the body. But when you start to go down this path of thinking, there is no God, ignoring the evidence, and I don't need to give him any honor, I reject the evidence and all that stuff, you're going to start believing that a mom can take away the life of her unborn child. You'll be more worried about mushrooms and rare snails and life on Mars than you are on life on, than you're worried about life on Earth. You'll spend all your time on social media and in political arguments, and you'll watch as marriages fall apart and families hate one another. We've been made our this society that we live in is made up of fools. We brought it on ourselves. With all our education, with all our technology, this world is dumb and dumber than ever. So God begins to do what I'm going to talk about next week. He begins to abandon people. And this ought to terrify you. Look there in verse 24. Wherefore God also, look at these words, gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. To, to abandon, to give them up, means to where God leaves a person completely alone. The worst thing God can do to you. If you ever say, God, would you ever just leave me alone? You know, I want you to think about all the trouble you've been through all the stuff you've had to struggle through, all the troubles and stuff like this, the worst thing that ever happened to you is for God to leave you alone and let your conscience be your guide and let this world just take you for its ride. The best thing that ever happens is when the Holy Spirit comes and grips you by the neck and says, get back in line. Come on, get back to church. Come on, let's get right with God. You better listen to your wife and get back to church and listen to your kids and get saved. If you want the worst thing to happen to you, then that'll be for God to say, okay. That's what God, that's the results. That's the results of this, of rejecting this inconvenient truth that I better stay close to God. I better be right with God. I need to fear God and honor him and thank him because the last thing I want to do is to push him away. You know, as people walk further away from God, you ever been in a, you ever, you ever looked at a mirror? You see that mirror there and you get up closer. And what's the image doing on the other side of that mirror? Oh, he's coming closer too. But here's the reality. The further I get away from that mirror, what's happening to the image of me on the other side? It's going further away. And God is like a mirror. God says, I'm just like you. You draw close to me and I will what? I will draw close to you. But if you walk away from me, if you don't want nothing to do from me, I'm a gentleman. I will leave you alone. Wow. That ought to terrify 
us. Let me tell you, the reason why when you started coming to church, you shook in your chair, your heart beat a thousand beats a second, you were worried about your soul, and yet you didn't get saved, and here you are, and you're still listening, and it doesn't phase you anymore? Let me tell you, that's the reality. The longer you put off and the further away you stay back from God being allowed to grip your heart and convict your heart and change your heart, the harder it gets to go back and say, all right, you win. It never gets easier, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. There's more next week. Let me just finish. The wrath of God is real. I mean, I just gave you a couple of examples of it being revealed throughout history. It's been described, displayed in the past. And it's because of sin. It's because of all ungodly, not just the worst things, but all. Not just the ones that you know about, but all the secret sins. And the results are pretty bad. See, sin makes fools of people. God begins to abandon people. But that doesn't mean that God's not going to. If I can get this thing right. God's not going to judge everybody. Ultimately, the judge of all the earth is going to judge every sin. And, and it, the point is, you've been given a chance to believe that there was a substitute made so that all of that is taken care of. Now you know why the need is to get saved. Why Jesus said you must be born again. Why John the Baptist says flee from the wrath to come. Why Paul said that Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Not just bless them and not just make them happy, but save sinners. And now you understand John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son of God and walks away from him and refuses to admit that he and doesn't want anything to do with him. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides is already on him. Father, we just take this moment as we bow in prayer. and We take a breath and let it sink in that in all of the good things that Romans starts talking about, they're all contrasted with an inconvenient truth that we're in trouble with God. And I, I say it all the time, but I don't know what else to say other than we're sinners. We cannot escape the fact that we do wrong and we break your laws. We, we spit in your face. We arrogantly live, trying to live without you, without prayer, without the Bible, live by our own wits. And we make such a mess of it. We've been made fools. And there are many people who don't know where God is anymore in their life. Don't know what happened to their conscience has been so burned out. But if they're here today, if there's anybody here today, God, that their heart beats and says, I think he's right. I think I've walked away so many times and I don't want to walk away today. I want to get saved today. Lord, would you please just convince them that if they just call on one name, they're not praying into the darkness, they're praying straight to heaven and asking for Jesus to save them. May they pray and believe with all their heart that Jesus died for them, was buried and rose again for them. And I pray that somebody gets saved today. And the rest of us, we've got to take this serious. 
there are a lot of people who mm-hmm. would never hear a message like this, but they need to hear it from us. They need somehow to hear that there is still a hell and they don't need to go there. And there's a savior who would make them free. So please, Lord, rally our hearts for the gospel's sake, please. In Jesus' name, amen.